0: Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. This is the behind the scenes podcast with members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today's episode is entitled "Oiling the Valves" and it's all about practicing. How do you keep it exciting, and why is it necessary? I'm joined by clarinetist Ben Mellifont and principal viola player David Quiggle. Hello, Ben and David. How are you?
1: Good, thanks. Good. Hello. Thank you.
0: Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, I'm going to get the biggest question out of the way first. How important on a scale of one to 10 is practising? Ben.
1: The top end of that, very important for many reasons. I think it's, it's keeping in shape, it's learning new skills, it's preparing for things in the short term and the long term.
0: Very good. Oh, that is a, a fantastic answer. You're already winning me over um, because <laughs> practice hmm. is not always the easiest thing. So I know that I'm here with pen and paper, uh, ready to take down lots of tips. Uh, David, what do you think is the most important thing about practicing? And then we'll break it down a bit later on.
2: Mostly it's just like maintaining your, your physical agility that on the instrument. I like to sing a lot when I'm, when I'm practicing to get a feeling of, of the drive of the music and the before you actually have to play it in the rehearsal or in the concert. It's more important what's in your mind than what's in your hands sometimes.
0: I love that. That is really, really interesting. And in fact, yeah, singing and having it sort of in your process, I guess, does help you to know where you're going to be going into the future. Now, as we've been working through these podcasts, I've been learning so much about the different aspects of being a musician in the LPO. And I understand that sometimes you could be playing repertoire that you've played many, many times. And sometimes it can be something brand new. Uh, Ben, how does it work for you? Is it sort of a version of muscle memory versus sort of sight reading? or are you always looking at the pieces and sort of trying to find something new within it?
1: Well, I guess for me personally, I'm one of the younger members of the orchestra. I've just been there about a year and a half. So actually a lot of the music that we play is fresh for me. And uh, as I'm sure you've heard in some of these other podcasts, the at times the pace that the orchestra works works out is quite uh, relentless <laughs> sometimes two or three programs in a week, and then not so much time to recover before you jump into the next week. Of course, with all the other things that you do on, in your life on top of the orchestra, you know, some people teach, some people have families, it doesn't leave much time to have your own contact with the instrument. Something I've had to learn quite quickly is that the practice you do away from the instrument is really important. Kind of understanding... The context and the character of the pieces that you're going to be playing for the program. And uh, listening is sort of the best way to do that. Often you can learn a lot more from two hours of listening than two hours of bashing away at it on on your instrument. Because when you come to the rehearsal, you know, it's one thing to learn the notes, but it's another thing to really understand the character of the music. Sometimes we really have not much rehearsal time at all for a programme, so that understanding becomes really important then.
0: David, where do you practice the most? Is it at home? Is it at the Royal Festival Hall in a cupboard somewhere or in a practice room? Where do you find that you're practicing the viola the most?
2: I used to have a corner that I liked in the Festival Hall, and I found a new one now. And I just like, I usually end up (laughs) staying in those places.
0: Can you describe this
2: corner for us? I mean, it's close to the stage and it's where they used to store the
1: instruments before COVID.
0: Ben, where do you like to practice the most?
1: If I get the time to do it, probably at home, actually. Some people find it quite distracting to Mm. practice in their home, but I really don't mind it, actually. And I live with a house full of musicians, so we're all sort of in the same boat as each yeah. other. Until recently, we were living, three, three of us musicians and one architect, and well, she was working from home since the start of COVID, we were really lucky that she actually really enjoyed all of the constant noise going on.
0: That's a rare find. She sounds like a gem. <laughs> and what makes the perfect practice spot? Is it the acoustics? Is it just how comfortable you feel? Is it when people aren't listening? What, what's really the, the key things that you need to make you feel comfortable?
1: I think the acoustic is so important Um, I remember when I was much younger after school I'd always practice in the bathroom which is just the biggest ego massage possible and I really don't I just don't yeah I don't recommend it the amount of resonance is ridiculous and you get no proper insight into what's going on equally I mean, some people like to practice in the deadest room possible so that they experience the opposite thing and maybe hear their sound to the truest degree. But that can also be a little bit degrading sometimes to yourself. So maybe for me, something in the middle.
0: What would that room be? Would it be a a living room or somewhere with carpet, wooden floors? What would your choice be?
1: Yeah, maybe a living room that has some acoustical treatment, you know, maybe a rug down there or something Mm. like that.
0: And David, is, is that sort of a similar thing to you or are you the opposite? What do you prefer?
2: I actually mostly, this is a thing that I don't often admit, but I practice with an electric viola that's called a Yamaha silent viola. And when I practice at home, I, I practice with that without like turning it on. I mean, without like turning on the electricity or the amplification. Right. It's almost... More of a virtual experience.
0: So you are still hearing the string, but very, very low, is that... Yeah,
2: exactly, and I don't want to make my my neighbours upset, either. (laughs) I had an experience with that, like, when I was living in Germany. I would practice my quartet music, and then I had a neighbour that would turn on his stereo really loud with, We're not gonna take it, (laughs) that (laughs)
0: song. But that is quite a tricky thing, isn't it? Especially playing acoustic instruments, you know, the viola, lovely, warm sound. And to be able to hear yourself at the best and how you would play in the Royal Festival Hall, you'd need to be able to give it all that you've got. And again, with the clarinet, it's not something that you can mute very easily. Um, have you sort of encountered problems like that along the way where you really need to practice? There's a, It could be a new contemporary piece of music that you don't have a recording of and you really need to get some th- techniques down.
2: Oh my <laughs> God, I remember when I was in, my quartet and we were on tour I had to learn this concerto this new contemporary concerto that I had to play in Spain with an orchestra and I'd gotten the music quite late but we were we were very poor in those days so we were sharing rooms so I would go into the bathroom I had to stay up pretty much all night practicing this piece (laughs) oh wow I remember one, I think it was in Glasgow, I spent the entire night practicing this piece before having to fly to La Coruña and rehearse. Sometimes you get a little bit desperate. (laughs) Mm.
0: (laughs) Well, that's another interesting point. You know, if you've practiced all night, just so you can have it under your fingers and you really know it. Do you ever have that time where by the time you've got to the performance stage, you now have fatigue. Do you always have to bear in mind, you know, I can't practice too much because I also need to save myself for the performance, Ben.
1: Definitely, and in so many different parts of the body as well. I mean, sometimes the concert days for the LPO, they can be difficult because in the morning you'll have the general rehearsal where you'll basically run through the whole concert. And, you know, if it's a particularly taxing long symphony or something like that, of course, in the rehearsal, you want, to, you want to get used to how it's going to feel to give your all. But at the same time, you might burn out your lip or something like that. So by the time you get to the concert, you actually don't sort of have your full reserves there. Then there's much more serious issues of strain injuries, uh, which I've suffered from myself. And I know lots of people have the kind of injuries that can take people away from the instruments for many months, maybe.
2: Actually, the lockdown was good, in a way, to to give me some time to rest so I could repair. But it is is dangerous sometimes when you overdo it.
1: I mean, there are so many analogies to sports and um, the sort of muscular conditioning that athletes have to do. And I think there's a lot more uh, for athletes that's far better developed and understood than for musicians because our... Muscle groups are really small muscles and they're muscles that we, you know, we use a lot every day over many years. So when they fatigue or when we maybe stretch them too far or whatever, it's happening in a really sort of slow burn basis. When the muscles finally say, no, I want you to stop doing this to me, it can be quite catastrophic because it's been such a slow burn.
0: Ben, you play clarinet and David, you're on viola. If you don't mind sharing, what are the muscle groups that you find are strained the most?
1: I think for the clarinet, the classic one is the the right shoulder and arm, because um, all instruments are asymmetrical to mm. some degree when you have to hold them, particularly for long periods of time. If you've ever seen like a, an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old holding. Uh, clarinet, because most clarinets are just the same size. It's one of the most ridiculous things ever because, you know, someone whose body is so not yet developed, holding this really long instrument and trying to support the entire weight with their right thumb, you can see the imbalance between the two shoulders. The right shoulder will come forwards and um, be lowered. Uh, an injury that I've had was very much related to that imbalance. So it's uh, kind of moving forward from that. It's something that you have to be quite aware of.
0: Absolutely. No. And, uh, you know, as a saxophone player, we have a similar position, but even having the sling, the neck strap, it is a little bit of a heavier instrument, but that support on the thumb is there, and I always find that so remarkable um, that the clarinetist wouldn't usually have a neck strap to to help balance that.
1: Do you get uh, like a big callus on your thumb? Oh yes, yeah. it's my
0: my war my war story everywhere I go. That well, is
1: my, mine's actually quite uh, non-existent because of lockdown number three. So, Isn't that amazing? Yeah.
0: I know. I'm I'm really remarking at how beautiful it is. Still there a little bit, but yes, yeah. definitely less callous than normal. And how about you, David? I could see you massaging your, your, uh, your hand there. there. That
2: was That's just sort of a habit I have. It's my, my pinky on my left hand that struggles sometimes, I think. Mm. When I hurt myself, it was this year, like somehow it was because I was sitting in the pit at Glyndebourne all summer. I have a rather big viola and I like to move like this
0: outwards, I can see a nice outward movement, yeah.
2: Like contrary motion kind of thing, no? But I had this you sit next to the wall if you're playing principal viola. Somehow I was sitting with my viola like this. And every time I would like go that way I would I would smack the wall of the pit.
0: And what do the musicians or what do musicians need to do to stay conditioned, Ben? You know, apart from continual practice so that your body is used to that movement, is there anything else that you do outside of the practice room, Uh, be it exercise or stretches before you practice or during your practice sessions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think stretches are paramount. I think, yeah, there's starting to be a shift in attitude that everyone should be doing that um, as a part of their basic routine. I think in sort of previous generations, there was definitely stigma towards musicians who picked up injuries or, you know, took work off because they were struggling physically, because, um, particularly in the UK, this real sort of go, 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 you know, work as hard as you possibly can attitude. And um, it's nice to see more understanding for the injuries and, I think, you know, more conservatoires are teaching, you know, have classes on physical health and that kind of thing. I mean, of course, any exercise, anything that gets your blood circulating is useful Mm -hmm. as well. Personally, I do some something that helped me get out of my own physical troubles was learning a lot about deep breathing and how that takes the strain off a lot of muscles and other parts of the body. So that's a big part of my routine as well.
0: Now, I want to touch on the sort of motivational and mental aspect of practice, because this is something that I struggle with, I know. And uh, I guess sometimes it is that mind over matter element. And again, linking to muscles, being as relaxed as possible, even though you're trying so hard to get a part right, being as relaxed as possible. How do you sort of conquer that mentally, David?
2: I was told, like... Pretty young by a teacher that like like sticking your tummy out, for example, (laughs) like just like in those moments when you're going to be tense. Just to get that diaphragm thing. I mean you guys you guys are more used to that probably than than most string players, no? That helps. I remember a time when I was playing in the last desk of the Violas as an extra player in the Boston Symphony when I was a student. (laughs) And I was scared like because I heard some guy like behind the door like like the, the door where you enter the stage going <laughs> and then he said <laughs> and then he was say came on stage <laughs> like,
0: Ben, do you have any techniques like that? I might have to try that for my next concert.
1: <laughs> no, but um, I've found qigong really helpful. I don't know if you're familiar with no, that. No, tell us more. I mean, it's a, it's one of these sort of fluid Eastern series of movements that basically promotes circulation in the body, and that's a really relaxing, relaxing and uh, warming way to get ready for a concert. And I find really amazing if you're if you're feeling nervous for whatever reason.
0: And what about overcoming those mistakes? Because, you know, when I'm saying practice, I think a lot of people will be envisioning that, you know, you put your sheet music up and you're just playing from the top to the bottom, just working your way through the piece of music. And in reality, practice is sometimes playing two notes over and over again, just trying to get the tone or the approach or the fingering right. So how do you get over that? How much do you push, David? And when is the right time to say, you know what, I'm going to try this again another time?
2: For me, it's always been more about being in shape than actually really like repeating the same notes over and over again. If I'm if I'm in good shape on the instrument, then it's mostly about my imagination and I can follow my imagination. And like if if I have a strong image of what I want it to sound like, that's more important than actually the physical part. The physical part for me is usually playing scales or doing things like that. Hmm being fluid on the instrument but the real thing for me is following something in my mind
0: so it's more about having the vocabulary which then leads me to ask what is it that you practice so forget about you know the time when you need to look through the repertoire and get that ready Ben what are you practicing is it scales is it sort of um, practice repertoire
1: well we're we're in the business of sound after all so it's sort of trying to make everything an exercise in sounds Listening to the beginning and the middle of and the end of every sound that you make, which sounds quite uh, overwhelming if you think, OK, you know, I'm I'm putting that focus on every single sound that I make. But um, I mean, that's the basis of of what we do, I think. Mm. And, and that's what continues to be so fascinating to me about being a musician, the ability to change the sounds and, you know, have a palette of them
2: yeah I agree with that. That's what I spend the most time doing in the morning when i'm when I'm practicing. I mean, I do a lot of sort of glissando exercises and things like that just to like get a feeling when you're like going <speaks in the notes>
0: that
2: kind of thing <laughs> just like... yeah yeah for me the it's so important what you do between the notes, and that's what I practice more than when I was a younger student i I didn't think about that as much as I do now. I, I used to think more about how we're starting notes and now I think more about yes. the middle of them and the ends of them and how they connect with the next one.
0: Something that I'm really fascinated by is the sort of mix of genres and sort of bringing genres that you wouldn't think link together and just seeing how a new piece of music or a new soundscape is created. And I'm aware that even though you are both wonderful musicians in the LPO, you play outside of classical music as well. Ben, will you share me a bit of your interests in um, sort of contemporary music and how else you play your clarinet?
1: Clarinet comes into it a little bit, but I'm really passionate about electronic music. And so I produce that in my spare time. Yeah, so I mean, I have you know used clarinet to sample it in some of my own tunes and that kind of thing. Uh, electronic music is for me just an amazing way to learn more about sounds about music about composition I've definitely learned things I couldn't possibly have learned sitting in an orchestra you know you yes. you, you need to think about sounds in a very literal way when sometimes you're synthesizing the sound yourself from the basic wave I find that really interesting
0: is it a form of escapism from sort of your day job, if you like? Is it quite important also to have different sounds within your world?
1: So, so important. I mean, as a as an audience member, it's electronic or club music that I find most inspiring and most interesting. It was quite confronting after spending my whole life until the last couple of years just really enamored with classical music. And mm. then to have something kind of uh, speak to me in the same way as electronic music, but I feel really lucky that I'm as interested in, in two different kinds of music and could happily do either of them.
0: It's brilliant. And David, I know you've been a star for us in lockdown, creating arrangements of popular songs like Stand By Me and We'll Meet Again for LPO Online during the uh, spring lockdown. What is it about different genres or different interpretations of classical music that you love?
2: I was born on an island In the Pacific Northwest, where my dad's job was, he was the lounge pianist. And I sort of grew up with that kind of music and things like that. And then in Spain, I I ended up playing quite a lot of flamenco and doing stuff like that. I mean, I like the challenge of composing and arranging and, and improvising and doing stuff like that. I'm not particularly good at jazz, but I enjoy it a lot. I think it's in my DNA somehow, this stuff. Playing flamenco is—I mean—I've had so many incredible experiences with flamenco projects. The most incredible thing about flamenco musicians, and I—I I know musicians of lots of different types that are not classical—they compose and rehearse. And a lot of them don't actually know how to read music, read sheet music. No? Yes. So they're like yeah. composing and rehearsing from memory constantly. And I would have to when I was living in Madrid. Like if I would go to a flamenco rehearsal, I'd have to record it so I could go home and write it out <laughs> that's fantastic
1: <laughs> mm. but i think i i find that something totally in the same way with say club music something very inspiring when you you know say you're standing at the bus stop at six in the morning after a night out and you're talking to people who've been at the same gig as you mm. and maybe it's someone who has no usual involvement with music other than that the way people who maybe don't know how to read music, listen to the music and respond to it, it's so unique. And mm. um, in a way, there's almost this sort of ignorance is bliss thing, where there's not the sort of intellectual or academic distraction They're maybe responding to grooves or, you know, the weight of the bass in a very personal way. And sometimes I'm really envious of that, actually.
0: David, what's your take on sort of making sure that your techniques are as varied as possible during your practice time?
2: I have a tendency to try and sing and play. Like lately I've been like trying to learn to bifurcate somehow so that I could actually sing and play at the same time on the viola, which is it's, yes. it seems like it's easier when you're playing the piano or something like that, but on the viola it's a weird thing. I like to dance and play or walk and play and I was like working in a, a Madrid for a time in a dance company where we would like designed several different shows. With improvisation and music by Philip Glass or, or Steve Reich clapping music and that kind of stuff and do different choreographies. Sometimes I really think about that, like even when I'm playing a Mahler symphony, I think of mm. how I would be dancing. And I do that with my students, too. So let's I create a, co- let's create a choreography for the Penderecki cadenza for solo viola or something <laughs> like that. It opens up different areas of your mind and your your music.
0: You've given us some great insights into how to practice. Could you tell me what's your personal practice schedule and do you have one? Is it like a weekly, I know what I'm doing, wake up in the morning, how many minutes of practice, or do you just go with the flow? Ben?
1: Uh, I definitely don't have a set or structured schedule. It's much more about finding time and I really try not to practice at the end of the day after I've been playing mm. all day anyway, because I think the end of the day is for you and for other things personally. In terms of tips or ideas, I think having making sure that it's a mixture of serious and fun slash enjoyable, a mixture of structured and free just making sure that when you put the instrument back in its case, you still really like it and you don't hate it.
0: <laughs> very, very good advice. <laughs> David, can you expand on any of that? Or do you have different tips?
2: I think it's important to work on basic things. For me, like, I've been a teacher for many, many years and teaching was the best practice for me ever. Mm. I, I learned more from teaching than I think my students learned from me. And, yeah, I'm not doing it much anymore, but I kind of, in a way, I miss it because that's the best thing for me to keep in shape is to teach.
0: What do you think it was about the teaching that sort of stretched you the most?
2: Sort of the combination of working on basics with the students, like constantly, and then thinking about the music in a way like almost like a conductor does. Like when you're playing chamber music and you're rehearsing too. When you're in the orchestra, all the time, you depend a little bit too much on the conductor sometimes to to make all the important decisions. When you're teaching, you're making so many decisions
0: well, it has been fascinating listening to you both. Inspirational too, from a fellow musician as well. Just to just to know that there's always something to learn. There's always sort of soundscapes to explore, and uh, yeah, don't be afraid to go outside of your comfort zone. So, thank you very very much.
2: Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank Goodbye. you.
0: Oh, it's great. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Ben Mellifont and David Quiggle for their insights into what it's like to be an LPO player and what it really means to practice as a professional musician. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod. And thanks for listening. Please join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, all about new composers and contemporary music from the perspective of the players.